Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CB146, Christianity in Australia, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 256, November 9, 1991. Honest Scott, Douglas Murray, and I will be talking now with Ian Hodge of Australia about Christianity in Australia. Now, Ian, you mentioned the fact of uh, the early Parsons and how much animosity they created. It is interesting that after the War of Independence, it was precisely in the areas where there had been English uh, rectors that uh, Christianity hit a low end, precisely because it was the misfits, often the uh, men who were alcoholics who would be sent over uh, to the colonies. Now, a few years ago, one historian wrote a book here defending these English parsons and saying they had been much maligned. However, his book was not too convincing. One of the things that very few people know is that uh, the famous Salem, Massachusetts witchcraft trial came out of uh, a church in Salem pastored by a Church of England man who had been in the Indies, had failed there, and had come to Salem. And his daughter was the leading member of a, a circle of girls who were having these experiences. And... Uh, it was due to the fact that they had brought up a black woman from the Indies who was into voodoo, and some occult phenomena began, began to take place. At any rate, uh, it's easy to understand that in Australia, where the Church of England uh, was the sole representative in the early years, there was an animosity uh, created. What is the situation today? If I can just, uh, before I answer your specific question, make the comment that I think it's understandable that um, the antagonism to Christianity goes back into that period. As you rightly said, the English, uh, at the end of the previous tape, the English government had made some very severe laws for, for minor offences. And I suspect that there is within each human being a natural revolt against the harshness of many penalties and what you had in the founding colonies you know, in the founding period of Australia of course was that the church was part of the establishment mm -hmm. and instead of perhaps uh, speaking out against many of the injustices which were occurring they uh, were seen by the early settlers of Australia to be the on the on the side of the of the of the established um, uh, authorities. In many instances, the uh, early convicts could get uh, early release from their um, uh, from their sentence and be uh, given free settlement uh, 
uh, within the colony if they um, could get a good report from the from the local parson. So there was tended to be you know a little use of the system there, something which I suspect still carries over into a, a Australian society. We uh, tend like to uh, you know in, uh, have national pastimes like you know tax avoidance and evasion and. Uh, Anything to get around the system is uh, is pretty much there. To come into the current climate, to answer your your question, according to recent polls in a, in Australia, seventy five percent or seventy eight percent, somewhere in that mark, of Australians say they believe in God. What they mean by the word, of course, is perhaps open to question. At the same time, it is um, it is claimed in the same uh, sort of. Uh, uh, a report that, uh, or analysis that approximately 20 to 23 percent of Australians attend church regularly. I dispute that that statistic, not on any scientific grounds, uh, but the sheer fact that if I take uh, any representative area, I don't think there are enough church buildings to hold Australians uh, uh, as one fifth of our population would be in church on any given Sunday. If I was to take my own uh, uh, regional area where I live we have a large or largest Baptist church by Australian standards and a large uh, Catholic church they probably seat around four or five hundred uh, people apiece you know, the Baptists have a couple of meetings on a Sunday morning because they, uh, they're large enough and the rest of the churches um, uh, probably would be lucky to have a hundred people um, present the odd exception of that would be the local charismatic church, which probably is close to a couple of thousand people. And that's about ten miles away up in the, one of the largest suburbs, and it does accumulate from a from a number of suburbs in a geographical location. I've noticed <coughs> I've noticed here in the uh, United States, practically all the small communities have a number of churches and fairly regular congregations. They're not large, but they're regular. But they have a lot of churches. Ashton, Kentucky, for instance, had probably at least 20 churches in a city of only 35,000. But the big metropolitan churches are practically vacant. There, uh, I think there may be an exception in some of the Catholic churches have pretty good attendance. But in comparison to the population of the cities, it's a small attendance. Well, Murphy's has five churches that I know of. And this is 1,850 people. Yes. And there's a reasonable attendance at all of those. So there's a, a fairly high ratio of church attendance here in the mountains. And I think that's true of communities of this sort around the country. And it's true if you get into the farming communities of the San Joaquin Valley. And it's true throughout the South. Yes, and the Great Plains area. Sure. In a village of this size of 1,850 people in Australia, you'd be lucky to find a church. If you did, it would be a, uh, either an Anglican or... A or a Catholic one, or maybe a Methodist. Or a mm. and no church at all. Otherwise, no church at all. I'm and sure virtually none of those churches that exist there would have been built this century. 
Or see. at least later than 1920, probably. Huh. I'm curious about this uh, taboo in Australian society against discussing religion. Uh, is this a strong feeling within the people in Australia, or is this uh, just how strong is it? It's fairly strong. We would find it very difficult to be uh, uh, open in, you know, in, in certain areas of society anyway. For example, in business, you wouldn't bring you know, your Christian faith into business um, too strongly at all. Well, that's true here. The, uh, I heard an exchange between Malcolm Muggeridge and uh, William F. Buckley once, television in which Buckley said it would be, uh, it would destroy a dinner party to mention religion. And Muggeridge said, not for me. <laughs> of course, any dinner party that uh, Buckley goes to would be destroyed. Yes. The company he keeps would be very unhappy to hear anything about Christianity. Yes. Is it just that uh, Australian society... Uh, doesn't want to deal with heavy subjects, or is this such a personal issue with people in Australia that they don't want to feel like they're imposing their views on someone else? I think your former comment is the correct one. I think that Australians uh, tend to keep away from the area because they are ignorant of it. They don't know the answer. And in terms of evangelism in the country, the successful people who I've seen church painting in Australia are foreigners, Englishmen or somebody like that who have come into the culture and who don't have this inhibition. And they make very successful church painters. Or the Australians that have been able to overcome it find that once you break the barrier, there is this emptiness in people's lives, of course, you know, that, they, that they're wanting to talk about. I think stoicism is probably the trouble we've... Developed there for what reasons? I'm not sure. There's probably some element of that r relates back to uh, the, the way I think Christianity has gone post-Reformation with the uh, re-emergence of um, of uh, Neoplatonism following the Reformation that uh, I was talking about with uh, Dr. Rushdoony yesterday or earlier today. The English Church, virtually from the time it called um, Charles II back to the throne, abandoned any kind of of uh, practical outworking of the faith to the kind and once you start to read the religious literature back into, into the 1700s you find this uh, this very shallow pietism sure the hunting person and all that well it may have been a mere coincidence but I found when I was there a high percentage of the pastors that I met were of a Scottish background. Would you care to comment on that? It could have been just happenstance. Uh, I can't comment on it. It's not something that I would have uh, noticed or been aware of. I think they take it very seriously, more seriously in Scotland still than the English do. Outside of the cities? Yes. I was going to say something here on that business of discussing religion and social setting. Up until about ten years or so ago, uh, as far as I'm concerned, 
I think that was true. But uh, I find more and more that the subject comes up. Uh, it comes up more than it used to come up. And uh, we had the same thing here, you know. Don't bring up religion or politics because otherwise there would be a fight. But that was in the days when we had fights. Uh, right now, they don't have fights anymore. You can bring up almost anything. Men tend to fight only over religion, isn't it? Well, men tend to fight only if they're serious about it. Yeah. I think the Australians, have, uh, we tend to be fairly... Um, um, uh, given to 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 a dislike of hypocrisy of any sort. Mm. So they the general criticism of the established church is that it's irrelevant, that it is hypocritical, and uh, so we have seen massive abandonment out of the out of the uh, institutional churches, you know, the Anglican, the Methodist Church, which has now become the Uniting Church, and uh, the Presbyterian churches. Uh, and the Baptist churches, none of them are really growing. Mm. The charismatic churches are the one who are accumulating the numbers, and yet our official statistics in the country for general church population haven't altered. Now, that probably indicates that the mainline churches are losing to the newer charismatics, mm. or it may mean that the mainstream are losing people who are just abandoning the faith altogether. And to some extent, the, the charismatic churches are bringing new people into the faith. I don't have enough information to be able to gauge what's exactly happening. Well, I've often wondered at the uh, practice of governments and sociologists in particular who accept the answers that they're given to questions. Uh, Margaret Thatcher was very smart on that one. They wanted to have some sort of a sex survey in Britain, and she mixed it right away because she said nobody ever tells the truth <laughs> and uh, obviously we have according to the surveys we have an enormous number of born again Christians yes. but they're not evident as much as you would think from the statistics well I would say Patterson and Kim's statistics, which were perhaps the most thorough, indicated 90% of Americans claim they believe in God. Perhaps 80 to 86% would actually call themselves Christians. But at the same time, they found that... Uh, while there was a very high affirmation of believing the Bible from cover to cover, when it came to specifics, a very small number believed in all ten of the commandments, and 43% uh, did not believe in more than five of them. Good heavens. Which five? <laughs> it varied from person to person in terms of their particular predisposition. Yeah. So there's a great deal of church going, there's a great deal of affirmation of the uh, faith, but uh, there isn't the practical application. 
uh, I think Dorothy summed it up very well when she reminded me last night of uh, this was in relationship to something we were discussing in the car Ian of someone we both know who became a convert and a Christian reconstructionist as well as a Calvinist he was in his early 30s no one in his family had ever set foot inside of a church they vaguely believed in God it just made sense and his mother's reaction was because he had uh, been the one in the family who didn't affirm a vague belief in God that it was a good thing to believe in God and if you want to go ahead and believe in Christianity and the whole works okay but don't get fanatical about it in other words don't let it uh, provide you with more than an insurance policy and she was really upset with him well I think that's true I think that's the general, that's the general, uh, generally speaking, that's the case. Yes. Uh, if you take the commandment against false witness seriously. Yes. Uh, you run into more eyeball to eyeball confrontations than you really like. Well, it takes people a while to get used to that. And this is precisely why we are seen by the churches as a threat. We are shaking up the churches and the non-churched people because we say you take it all it's an all or nothing matter don't say yes unless you believe it yes and uh, I think this is why of course in Australia <laughs> people uh, are upset with us as you found Ian the um the anti-intellectualism, I think, in Australia is, is our biggest problem in that people don't read uh, serious books. This was brought home very much to me recently because um, uh, for the American readers, they might want to know, or listeners, they might want to know that I actually distribute reconstructionist material in, a, in Australia. I import it and yeah, resell it. And um, I have a small book distribution there that retails other books as well. I was talking to one of the major suppliers in the country there a few, about 12 months ago about books and he said if you walk into a Christian bookstore outside the metropolitan areas he said you will not find a hardback book and uh, next time I was out in the country I took the opportunity to go and check and sure enough in the Christian books apart from an odd bible or an odd commentary on a shelf they are all the short 150 page back paperback books that's true uh, here. It is. It's not totally true, but it's true to a great extent. What has happened here is that uh, the serious books have now built up a major market through mail sales. For example, a businessman, Walter Hibbard, in Delaware, has started great Christian books. And uh, he does not sell the fluff. If you order it through a meal supply, 
But what he keeps on hand are books like ours and others and reprints of old classics. And what he's demonstrated is that uh, it's highly successful. And uh, Calvin's commentaries in uh, various uh, mail catalogs are selling in tremendous numbers in this country. So the traditional pietistic evangelical bookstore is still a place where you can find fluff and nothing more. But through the mails, the sale of uh, serious Christian books, of reprints, is tremendous. For example... Uh, Lloyd Sprinkle in Virginia has been reprinting old Puritan classics and classics of the last century and uh, has done a remarkable work so that uh, his books have helped further Christian Reconstruction simply because he's putting them in touch with people who apply the faith across the boards. So we do have people like that. And of course, you're doing that now in Australia. And uh, this is how it began here, through the mails. Well, we're exclusively mail order, and uh, even the gentleman you mentioned, uh, Great Christian Books, probably has a fair following in Australia, if I gauge the market right. Mm-hmm. The... Um, the easy use of credit cards across international borders has made book buying, um, you know, from Australia to America, uh, quite a simple process, uh, without any extra costs imposed of uh, foreign bank checks and mm-hmm. and things like that. Well, we've had a publishing companies in the United States <coughs> going away to the Hollywood studios, and. Uh, They've been merging like crazy so that there's less and less of them. On the other hand, there are a lot of small publishers that are emerging because they find that the big studio approach doesn't work because it's, uh, and television is falling and the movies are falling. In the last 20 years, there's been an enormous loss of audience both films and popular end quote books because the popular books are dirty stupid and they no longer reflect the actual American society their fantasies of one sort or another on the other hand I notice the catalogs I get I'm getting an increasing number of book catalogs from small publishers who are culling out the better books and making uh-huh. a living out of them. Yes. So there is a, uh, you know, the pendulum swings. It doesn't go one way all the way. And the pendulum here is swinging back. There are more people, I think, more serious readers. And of course, we've got a big country. So we still don't have the numbers of readers that we ought to have. They don't read as much as they do in Europe, for instance. And it doesn't have the same effect <clears throat> as it does in Europe. But we're moving in that direction. I think there's another aspect of the of the paperback book 
If you go back, say, a decade and a half, which is about the time I started to buy your materials and uh, similar reform materials, the publishing companies were small. The whole concept of reconstruction, of applying the faith outside the narrow confines of the four walls of the church, there were very few books. And what we have started to see in the past decade is a number of paperbacks of taking... Uh, say your own institute of, of biblical law or at least some aspects of it and now you can buy you know 150 page paper, paperback on a biblical view of money now that wasn't available mm. you know, 15 years ago yeah. so I think there's one aspect of the of the paperback market that you're starting to see a different type of book uh, come into the marketplace mixed up with a lot of rubbish I, I agree but there are the popularisation of, uh, of uh, some of these books into the mass paperback market are the Australian people content with the situation as regards religion now? I mean, is anybody searching or looking, or are they pretty much content with the status quo? If I could take you out onto our beautiful sunny beaches with the surf rolling up, you wouldn't be worried too much about too many things other than enjoying yourself in the sunshine. When you're in Australia, you're on a continent that is removed from the rest of the world. And when you read in the papers there about what's happening in Europe or the United States, it's very remote. And uh, so it's hard to get very worked up. It's a prosperous country too, isn't it? As long as they're prosperous, they're... Not going to uh, get too intensely serious. Of course, New Zealand is even less serious. It's further removed. It <laughs> is off in a different uh, planet almost. Well, that could change overnight if the government runs out of money and can't yes. keep bringing out the welfare checks. Uh, it's, it's, that, that aspect of it is becoming a major problem to our to our government. In the, if you look at the um, demographics of Australian uh, population over the next uh, 20, 30 years, we have had, to go back a little bit, we have had over the last 10 to 15 years a doubling of the uh, retirement age population as a percentage of the, of the population from 5% to 10%. The birth rate falling? Birth rate's been falling. The um, the proje projections are that by around, I think, the year 2020 or 2030, uh, that will be up to 20% or even higher of the workforce. So the, the government is having, has a major problem of welfare on its hand because welfare is uh, virtually a guarantee in our country. They are moving to resolve that problem uh, by now insisting that um, as part of uh, the wages of most Australians now there will be compulsory superannuation or, or retirement money. 5% of a person's wages will be uh, paid by the employer um, into a superannuation fund. This is to get people off the um, uh, welfare rolls. Nursing homes and all that. that they're looking forward to that. Well, before I just go on to that, the, uh, the superannuation is the, uh, at the moment at age 65, providing you have 
certain uh, uh, limits in terms of income and assets, you're entitled to a government uh, pension check for the rest of your life. Industries such as the one I'm involved in have specialised in uh, maximising the pension that people can get from the government by uh, usage of the current laws that are there to, uh, to get people maximum government welfare. What's going to happen is that uh, the, I believe the government's going to force everybody into a national savings plan, which is the superannuation scheme. Then they will make it um, impossible to collect the lump sum of money that you've accumulated. They will force you into taking a pension. And, of course, a pension is taxable at normal income rates. Now, at present levels, we can take somebody in our company at, say, $250,000 of assets, Produce them an income, combined income for husband and wife of probably $25,000, $30,000 per annum per year, and we can probably get the taxes they pay down to maybe $2,000. If that $30,000 came in as an ordinary salary into the hands of the wage earner, which would be probably the husband, the tax level on $30,000 would be probably around seven or $8,000. And that is my prediction as to why the government's going to solve its welfare problem. Share the poverty. <coughs> The problems that I have seen here and have been personally involved in some situations where church troubles have developed, and in one I went to arbitrate last May or June, it was, where the younger generation, because of the kind of education they have had, and the kind of world they've lived in, having been born since World War II, are really totalitarians in their nature. And they want a totalitarian church. And uh, they either want to rule in a totalitarian manner or rule, be ruled. Do you have that problem there in the churches? Is there an authoritarianism arising? Uh, I think there is. Um, there has been an authoritarianism in some aspects, especially the reform community. You know, the older Presbyterians um, still seem to have an authoritarianism that really hasn't existed so much in the traditional churches. Our mainstream churches, by and large, have tended to become liberal over the over the last half century or so. And those that um, fought against liberalism, such as the Baptist uh, Union in the in the state where I am, has really only started to become liberal probably in the last 20 or 30 years. On the other hand, uh, just as a um, by comment, there we're seeing the one church which is reforming itself, which is the the old Presbyterian Church, and uh, our mutual friend there, Dr. Nigel Lee, is having a uh, a very enormous impact within that denomination to um, uh, to train young men back in in the Orthodox faith, and that has reached the stage where, just last month in the General Assembly of Australia, there they overturned the uh, overturned the women's ordination ruling that came in a decade and a half ago, and now the official position is that in the church is that no more women will be ordained um, into the ministry. Um, 
the authoritarianism has has probably existed in some of the, the the fringe groups. There was one notable group that broke away from one of the mainstream churches in the late 60s over liberalism, and they became very authoritarian uh, to the point where people could not even relocate into a community where there was no you know denomination, where they had no no local church, and uh, uh, they were quite uh, infamous for the. Uh, very strict rules uh, although they have reformed recently and uh, it's been very encouraging to see that they've gone back to some of the people they've hurt over the years and um, apologised to them and um, tried to make amends in the in the appropriate manner the authoritarianism has risen in the uh, some aspect of the charismatic movement of course as you probably have here but apart from that, Australians don't take too much to authoritarianism. We tend to be a, a lawless bunch if we can get the chance. Well, the Americans have <coughs> always talked about that, American independence. But since World War II, I don't see very much of it. Uh, we used to. We used to. Before the government created so many regulations and before these social sanctions began to apply to the use of free speech uh, we were very we were quite free when I was very young we were very free but we have we really do not have freedom in the United States today anyone who thinks we do is under an illusion we don't have freedom of speech and we lack freedom of expression in uh, business and many other areas. Uh, men can be ruined very easily here today by either the government or private industry. Don't make waves is the national slogan. And I get the impression from what you said about the possibility of compulsory savings and all that, that a similar trend is going on in Australia. Uh, the typical Australian attitude to authority is, you know, no one's telling me what to do, and yet the history of the, of the country is that the government can tell people what to do and the people do not revolt. They don't complain. Uh, we are taxed at enormously high rates, and uh, there is very uh, little official complaint any in the sense of organised. Now, Australians mm -hmm. will do everything they can to avoid paying the, the taxes. Sure. Uh, in fact, there's a very good story, if I can just interrupt the proceedings with a little lightheartedness again, of um, two Australians who were put out of work in the uh, recent recession and decided that they had to find something to do and in the belief that self-employment offered the best job security, you're the first one hired and the last one fired, that they would uh, go into business for themselves. And, of course, the only way to do this was to get tax-free income. Now, the only way to do that is you've got to get cash in the hand. So they decided to uh, set themselves up with a truck on one of the roads around the Sydney area and sell what we call rock melons, which is your cantaloupe, mm -hmm. I think it is, off the back of the truck and get cash in the hand, and that way they wouldn't have to declare it to the tax office. Now, they were selling the uh, cantaloupe or the rock melons for $1, each and they were buying them for one dollar each 
And after two or three hours of this, one turned to the other and he said, we're not making very much money, are we? <laughs> and his friend said, no, what we need is a bigger truck. We're going to make money on the phone. <laughs> well, the West was uh, known as the Wild West, the West of the United States. Although someone recently in a study showed that on a per capita basis, Dodge City at its worst was law-abiding compared to Washington, D.C. today. However, there was a fierce spirit of independence throughout the West, which was still somewhat backward as compared to the East before World War II. For example, when Roosevelt was voted into office, he carried with him uh, men of like mind who were going to reorganize everything everywhere in one western state, which was a ranching state with a lot of one-teacher schools where all eighth grades and uh, were taught and they decided to close these down and have boarding schools and take the ranchers' children and put them in the boarding schools. And uh, the bill was put on the docket, and on the day that it was to be voted on, the gallery above the uh, state assembly was full of ranchers, with rifles pointed down at the legislators. The bill unanimously lost. <laughs> now, that was the kind of temper that marked the West. Those, I, I know one of the men who was involved in it. Those men were fiercely Christian and fiercely independent, <coughs> law-abiding, but they were not going to allow any group of uh, liberal eggheads to destroy their families by removing their children from their homes to put them in boarding schools. So uh, that spirit disappeared after the war steadily. I think it will return with a revival of the faith. And there are people now who in one way or another are defying church and state and making stands. I had someone call me a little before we left to come here who's fought church and state alike. And... Uh, it's cost him 40000 and he's not going to give up. But it's wiped him out. But he's going to go on fighting. So it is because he's a man of strong faith. And I, I do believe as the faith returns, that resistance will return. And those whom I know in Australia who are staunch believers and reconstructionists have that kind of faith. 
So I think it's coming in Australia. Well, there is a rebellion of sorts going on in Louisiana. And the President of the United States and all the press is very indignant about it. The, uh, there was a, a revolution of sorts through the ballot box in New Jersey. They threw out the whole state legislature and put another, another party in, which has not been paid much attention to, but I thought it was very significant. And uh, I think that if we run into rough times, which seem to be fairly clearly ahead of us because the Democrats do not have any more ideas on how to get us into a, a better frame than the Republicans. If we have rough times, you will have a resurgence of the faith because, oddly enough, privation brings you closer to God. And uh, you may see some interesting events here. The big point, as far as I'm concerned, is that you cannot win anything if you don't fight for anything. And a man who won't fight is obviously a loser. And we've got an awful lot of losers in the country in terms of their happiness, in terms of their spiritual values, in terms of their lives. If you get too many losers for too long a time, well, then something breaks. I think Australia's problem I may be so bold as to analyze it is like that of some of our states like Oregon which is a one city state uh, it has one big city Portland which has an overwhelming proportion of the population and therefore dominates a basically very conservative and Christian community well, Australia, with its 15 million, has so many of them concentrated in a few cities. And they do not represent the country at large. Because I've been there three times, and once I was never outside of city, Sydney, but the other times I was. And you can see the difference. Sydney is not too much different from our big cities. But the smaller areas, there's a different temper. Socialism, of course, ruins people's initiative. Yes. And we are a heavily socialized country. A lot of our problems in terms of the city and the country have been created in that as uh, the, uh, the, the rural community has declined through a number of circumstances, increased productivity, of course, um, being just one aspect of it. Uh, people have had turned to alternatives and because they are not independently minded enough to take the initiative and build for themselves industries they've tended to look for the government as a solution to the problem. First thing the government will say, well, you know, move down to the city where you've got more chance of getting a job. And so you've had these enormous concentrations of people into the city area rather than what I think is has got potential to become a, a a change in direction of that in the sense that we are relatively affluent and I think the younger generation in Australia and I say younger generation I mean probably under 45 have probably tended to realise that socialism hasn't got the answer uh, 
it's probably curious that many of the blue-collar unionists, you know, the first thing they do is send their kids off to university who become white-collar workers. And a white-collar worker soon realises that the way to poverty is to be a member of the union, where uh, your wage is limited to whatever the union negotiates for you. In the non-unionised sector, of course, you can take a job and uh, increase your capacity according to your own negotiating skills and your ability to watch it going. Or your, your ability and your job that you have, and I think we're seeing an increasing amount of that of of, um, of Australians uh, being willing to to take the initiative in terms of business. I think it's been helped by a number of American um, sales gurus and marketing gurus who have come across there, and people such as Zig, Zig, Zig Ziglar who have mm. really brought Christianity into their business marketplace there, mm. and. Uh, waken people up that there is an alternative to, to socialism. And if you take the biblical principle that uh, Ezekiel puts it so well, you know, you can have anything in life that you want if you help enough other people get in life what they want. Really is a uh, rephrasing of the biblical concept of service to your fellow man in, uh, in, in some form. And I think if that if that could be established into a, the Australian uh, attitude, and I think this is the opportunity that the churches face in, in Australia right at this moment. If they can take the faith, make it relevant to the Australians, and I believe the Australians, who tend to be fairly pragmatic, uh, will embrace Christianity. I'm very uh, confident that uh, Reconstructionism can eventually take off there. And I could tell you some interesting stories where it already has... Uh, to give one example, there's a, a young man who uh, started buying the materials five or six years ago, and he's a chief engineer at one of our hospitals in the state of Victoria. And um, he uh, joined the local uh, reformed uh, church community there, and uh, he became a homeschooler and an, an avid promoter of Christian schools. He eventually... Uh, almost with reluctance convinced a local pastor that he had to do something in terms of educating his own children outside the state school system and that pastor today is homeschooling and uh, the church for example now provides support facilities to the families in the area who are homeschooling whether they be Catholic, Lutheran or, or members of their own community to the point now that the church is building a resource centre on the property and each Wednesday now, well, about 50, 60 families in the uh, uh, geographic located roughly within a 100-mile radius accumulate there once a week and uh, participate together with sporting activities and you know, the mothers talk together and the parents uh, talk together. At the same time, this man has gone into the hospital community and our hospitals there are all government-run and government-financed, but the, in the current climate, the funding... Uh, if a state government hospital has been declining so um, Hank in this case has gone back to the hospital with a proposal that they start a, um, a fee for service based service back to the community providing um, uh, one of these uh, remote uh, control services for elderly people where they wear a device around their neck oh. and they can activate their telephone call which uh, their telephone which will put a call through to this hospital in Victoria and he, he has been given approval to proceed in, in that direction to provide a nationwide uh, service back to the community 
on a profit-making basis. And he's done it because he's uh, read the Reconstructionist materials and has seen that this is the direction that as Christians we must go. Well, when I was first contacted by Australians with regard to Christian schools and home schools, it was the early 1970s. And by the late 70s, there were only a handful uh, in all of Australia. And now the movement has grown very rapidly so that uh, it's important enough for New South Wales to legislate against. Uh, they are seeing it as a threat. So things are happening, I believe, in Australia. Our, our problem really is the percentage of Christians yeah, in proportion to the total population. And the, yes. If we could uh, increase yeah, that side of the equation then, of course, we would see the, the Christian influence become much more powerful. Well, one thing that has increased the uh, number of Christians here has been the Christian school. A great many parents from coast to coast, out of disgust with the public schools, have sent their children to Christian schools. And the end result is that they are brought into the faith. As a matter of fact, the first church and state case here in this country was uh, in the 70s, the Wisner case in Ohio. And they went after this uh, small school. They told the parents to come to court with their children's bags packed because their children were going to be taken from them and placed in foster homes for their welfare. Is that the Amish case? No. No. Uh, it was an independent Baptist. And uh, it, Bill Ball, the Catholic attorney, took the case and won a smashing victory. And that this was if they resisted if they didn't shut down the school immediately and they had a meeting and uh, the parents were afraid they hadn't slept all night after having received the court order but the one man who bucked the whole idea of his children being in the Christian school a garage mechanic who was not Christian and had been hostile to his wife's faith was the one who sparked the resistance. And uh, he said that his boy had been a brat before he went to the Christian school. And he said, now, he says, sir, when he talks to me. And he said, I'm going to fight for that school. <laughs> and... Uh, the Christians at the meeting were embarrassed. Here was the lone atheist in their midst, and he was going to fight for that school. So they went to court, and they won a smashing victory. Now, that's the kind of thing that has helped uh, Christianity in the past 20 years grow so dramatically. 
a lot of the parents of these Christian school people have come in at the faith. The issue, of course, in the Wisner case, which you mentioned, if I understand it correctly, was the question of government registration of the school. Uh, yes, and government control. And uh, so far we haven't seen strong resistance to that kind of mentality. The Education Act in New South Wales, which I said earlier, which um, has brought in curricular, uh, curriculum control, um, has not been resisted uh, in strength. The churches that have um, uh, mainly the smaller fundamentalist churches which had uh, taken a stand verbally prior to this about any kind of government registration have all capitulated and taken what amounts to a government registration, uh, registration for them to exist um, as, as independent schools. But I think our real hope is the fact that the, as, the as the state education system decays even more because they don't have a philosophy of education that can work. We are seeing a, a, an outflow out of our public school system. In our state, the uh, increase has been from about 23 to 28% of the population, of the school-age population is now in private schools, which are not necessarily Christian. 23%? It has grown to 28%. 28%? And uh, we had Sam Blumenfeld there last month, and uh, he got on the radio station from our home and uh, mentioned his books. And for the next week, we did nothing but answer the telephone from parents who had this enormous problem at the local school and they could see that their children were not being taught to read. This is the opportunity, I think, for, for the Christian school movement and, yes. and the churches. Well, what happened here was that for some years they were ready to go along because they didn't know any different. Then when Wisner resisted and others started resisting little by little here, there and across country, people became ashamed. And people who had ex accepted licensure mailed back their licenses. And uh, the resistance began to spread. So that now, uh, the only way the statists can think of bringing them back under control is through the voucher plan. By providing a voucher for each student, whether they go to a state school or a Christian school or a private school. But since the Supreme Court has said controls must follow vouchers, they hope thereby to control them and bring them back into the status fold. So now we have another battle over that matter. But uh, what will happen there is that one or two people will resist. They may even go to jail, as some have to here. But suddenly people will wake up to the fact it's morally wrong. And that will uh, begin to spread. Well, the main thing is that the poor children will come out as ignoramuses. Yes. And their parents will realize it. And uh, they'll just create a whole army whole army yes. you know it's it's a law of diminishing returns you cannot push around most of the people yes. and it's 
people get in positions of governmental authority and uh, they feel that nothing can happen to them. Well, history proves otherwise. I think we've seen that in Australia with the question of the national identity card and the, the gun control issue in the, in the state. When the people were pushed, they did eventually dig their heel in. Sure. It's a question at what point they will dig the heel in and what circumstances in the providence of God push them to the point. Mm -hmm. Well, our time is nearly up. Uh, Douglas, you've been rather quiet. Would you like to say something now before we uh, conclude? Well, I just have uh, one quick question. Uh, is there uh, a lot of uh, home Bible study groups uh, outside of the main cities where there are no churches and the smaller communities you mentioned there are no churches? Do people get together in home Bible study? I don't know enough to be able to answer the question. Um, probably in those smaller communities, unless the newer charismatic churches have made an inroad or you have a you know, traditional evangelical church of some sort. No. We have a number of people who subscribe to my Bible study tapes and have home church meetings, invite others. In a few instances, they've grown into sizable churches. There are some who have estimated that the home church movement in the United States today easily has over a million people in it. So I think perhaps you could encourage that home church movement. There is an element of it there, especially among some of the charismatic groups who uh, yeah, smaller groups, so it is existent to what extent I, I just don't have the knowledge. Well, you can advertise it with the tapes and then encourage them to study the Bible together. Uh, this is going on among both Catholics and Protestants here. Because with the breakdown of uh, both groups, there are many, many devout people who are no longer content with what the mainline church offers very interesting. Your taboos, politics and religion. In the United States, both the religious and the political establishments are falling. And you know they're not going to fall into a total vacuum. They're going to fall into alternative movements. Mm -hmm. Well, our time is just about up. Thank you all for listening. And Ian, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christrules.com.